Welcome to the Essential Geopolitics podcast from Stratfor, a rain company. I'm Emily Donahue. Today, I'm speaking with Stratfor Senior Vice President for Strategic Analysis, Roger Baker. Welcome. Thank you for having me. Roger, North Korea will mark the 75th anniversary of the Workers' Party in October. There have been concerns raised that North Korea might take a provocative stance to coincide with the anniversary. Can you talk to me a little bit about what we can expect there? Certainly. So this is the 75th anniversary of the Workers' Party of Korea. Um, and and under Kim Jong-un, the WPK has really been rehabilitated compared to during his father's time, where it took a lower role in North Korean uh, leadership structures and uh, where the military took a much higher role. So this is a big a big deal for the North Koreans. There's been a lot of concern that there would be an October surprise, that the North Koreans would pop off some ICBMs or test a nuke to be provocative uh, around the new U.S. election. Um, we don't expect to see them going to those extreme behaviors. What we're, we do expect to see is in their parade, uh, probably some new missiles uh, that they're going to show off or mock-ups of missiles. There's been some suggestion that they'll show some indigenously developed tells, and those are the mobile vehicles for moving rockets, lifting them up, and being able to fire them off. Um, that would be an interesting development for the North Koreans, showing that they're advancing their internal military capability and easing away from their dependence upon foreign suppliers. Um, so again, further evidence that they're able to push past uh, sanctions and stay strong in spite of uh, international sanctions. The place where we could see a test is maybe in a short-range um, ballistic missile or possibly a, a further test of their submarine-launched ballistic missile. Um, that's a program that the North Koreans are really trying to finalize. Um, they want that program to showcase that they have one more way of potentially hiding, uh, even if it's only a single nuclear weapon, uh, hiding a single nuke that could, again, add a little um, uncertainty to U.S. defense posture and therefore potentially from the North Korean perspective, give them more protection. So we think, though, that right now, really what North Korea is putting most of their attention on is some of the internal challenges that they're seeing. Well, some of those internal challenges include COVID crisis, sanctions and recent flooding, and then there are the rumors of Kim Jong-un's ill health. All of those would make it seem that Pyongyang is under a lot of pressure. Do you anticipate a change in the North's attitude towards South Korea or the United States next year? Well, what we've seen this year in North Korean behavior toward the U.S. and South Korea has been intransigent and... and um, almost forcefully angry at, at the two neighbors. So the North Koreans have rebuffed any offer of help from South Korea to deal with COVID or even to deal with uh, most of the efforts, uh, offers to help to deal with the flooding um, after the tropical storms and, and the bad weather that, that struck North Korea. Um, we've seen the North Koreans uh, basically tell the United States they don't want anything to do with them. They're not interested in more talks this year after the collapse of, of talks that the North Koreans thought were going to give them uh, some of the deal that they wanted with Washington. And we saw the North Koreans take strong actions against South Korea by blowing up the liaison building, by supposedly cutting all of the hotlines between the two countries. But interestingly, uh, a few weeks ago, when there was that potential uh, defection attempt from South Korea to North Korea, where a South Korean civilian was then killed offshore, there was some question of whether the North Koreans lit the body on fire or not. It, it caused some, some uh, real 
consternation in South Korea. And very quickly, the North Koreans all the way up to Kim Jong-un sent an apology to the South Koreans, you know, explained the situation, uh, said they didn't burn the guy, but they did shoot him and kill him. And it was it was clear that what they were trying to do is ease some of that sense of tension. It also suggested that communication channels are still open, even though the, the public perception was that these had closed. So I think that what we're seeing from the North Koreans is that while they're certainly wanting to um, keep the, the U.S. and South Korea sort of at arm's length, that may be very heavily shaped by their death fear of COVID and COVID outbreaks. They don't want any engagement with anybody this year over fear of COVID breaking loose in North Korea and them being able to unable to um, manage that. But they also don't want to shift to full military confrontation with their neighbors. And one little signal of that is at the, at the big meeting this week, the, the North Korean leadership declared an 80-day economic surge. Uh, and that basically takes them through the end of this year, focusing on internal issues uh, rather than focusing on external issues like the upcoming, for example, U.S. presidential election. Well, with the U.S. election near, how may the outcome impact the space for U.S.-North Korea negotiations? Well, this is this is interesting. From the North Korean point of view, the, the they really can't trust a consistent U.S. policy. The U.S. leadership seems to swing back and forth on how they want to deal with North Korea and on how uh, much priority they put to North Korea. The only thing really consistent in U.S. policy is the demand that you have complete denuclearization of North Korea. Um, quite frankly, from Pyongyang's perspective, this is untenable. They're not going to denuclearize and leave themselves uh, vulnerable to, to the whims of the world's largest power. That, that's just not how they're going to act. And, and what that does, though, is it means that, that no matter whether the U.S. has pursued engagement or containment or, for lack of a better word, trying to ignore North Korea into submission, these have all been relatively ineffective policies. If we think about a second Trump administration, we could see Trump reach out and try to create a new deal with North Korea, really following on what he considers a success with his Middle East diplomatic victory with uh, you know the UAE-Israel uh, diplomatic ties. But that would require the U.S. to give in, to, to make some concessions to North Korea, do some sanctions relief before the North Koreans would be willing to go next steps and, and maybe dismantle some more of their program or show it. The Biden administration really has very little interest in, in pursuing high-level talks with North Korea, and, and their attention is going to be shifted very quickly to Iran, um, if you want to think of the, quote, rogue states uh, that the U.S. is dealing with and trying to revive the JCPOA, the Iranian nuclear deal. There are signs, though, in the body of foreign policy establishment that's ultimately looking to advise a democratic leadership uh, should Biden win that there's a growing acceptance that there may need to be a shift from immediate denuclearization to an acceptance of an arms control agreement with North Korea. The idea that you just have to accept that North Korea has these systems, and rather than hold out hope that somehow you will you will get them to give up, instead, at least let's find a way to identify how many they have, uh, set up joint arrangements on making sure they're not developing tactical systems to utilize them, deal with North Korean nuclear weapons similar to, but on, of course, a much smaller scale, similar to the way the U.S. dealt with Soviet nuclear weapons. And that would be an interesting change for the United States. And it may be with the U.S. uh, shifting its attention to great power competition and China as its primary competitor, uh, that it may want to finally clean North Korea off the map of constant problem area, right? 
And that may mean that whether it's a Democrat or, or a Republican administration coming into the United States, uh, that we may be moving, you know, by the end of whatever the next administration is, toward a sense of uh, accommodation with North Korea, management of North Korea's nuclear capability, uh, and therefore pushing North Korea a little bit down in the priority list. Thank you, Roger. Thank you. You can read Roger Baker's columns on geopolitics with a subscription to Stratfor Worldview. Check out the special offer for podcast listeners at stratfor.com slash podcast offer. That's all one word, stratfor.com slash podcast offer. I'm Emily Donahue. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.